Hey there, welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right, I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique. We wanna know what it is about everyone, so we're asking. What's your thing? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the What's Your Thing podcast, episode number 18. Unfortunately, Caitlin's not going to be with me today because she's gone to Germany, which would be a lot more fun than me sitting in my basement. But I am ready to have a really good conversation tonight. We are going to keep going with episode 18. Very, very happy to welcome our guest, Deirdre Ford, who is going to be talking to us about white people parenting indigenous children, which is a very, very unique topic. And I think it's something really interesting that we can learn about. So I'm going to jump uh, jump right into it. Deirdre, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I'm, I hate to say my age, but I'm 57. I became a parent at 53 after a long career. Um, I had infertility problems for years. I did in vitro, donor eggs, everything. And I had become quite comfortable being childless. But my husband was like, I want a family. So we enrolled in a, a, a fostering to adopt program. So we, we did a psychosocial evaluation, which actually took about 15 months. Um, they ask you everything about yourself. And I wanted one like 10 year old. So the day that they finished, they said, it'll take about six months. You have time to get your house ready. And so I was expecting, you know, an older kid in six months. Literally, three days later, I got a call saying a little Inuit boy was born yesterday. He's HIV positive. Do you want him? I started to cry. I wanted to go to the hospital right away and get him. My husband's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to take the weekend to talk about this so I called a friend who's worked in with AIDS for many years and I said what is the risk um he's like there's no risk don't worry but so I we even went and bought latex gloves and that and my husband's like he won't be able to play hockey and then they told me I couldn't have him till they figured sorted out his health problems but it turns out they can't even tell if an infant is HIV positive until he's a few weeks old. So at five weeks, he came home and I'd been in an accident. I, I could, I broke my fibula, my tibia and my ankle. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I walked up those stairs to the nursery to get him and uh, brought him home. The most beautiful little baby you ever saw. Uh, had to give him antivirals, take him to the hospital for blood work constantly. Um, they do the last HIV test at 18 months and he didn't have it. Oh, that's wonderful. So uh, that that's wonderful. Of course he did have hypotonia. So I had to do a lot of physio. A pediatrician told me most infants taken away from their moms have hypotonia. Okay. So started the adventure with William knowing nothing about newborns and um, had to have a cultural plan for how 
I was going to keep his culture alive. And I worked hard on it, um, took courses, joined a group of white people who parent Inuit children specifically. We do activities like dog sledding, making mittens. If you want to cut me off and ask a question, you can. No, no, I'm just, I'm fascinated by where this, like, because so, you're going into where I was going to go next. It's like, so you, you did, did you, you said you did a psychoevaluation and, and everything like that. Did, you, evaluation. did that lead you towards the parenting of Indigenous children, or in this case, what, Inuit, or or what led you specifically to that? Or was it, like you said, just he presented himself as an opportunity and you just kind of like had that mother they, and you jumped on it? They told us we were going to get a white child. Oh, they told us we were going to get a white child. But during the psychosocial evaluation, it came up that I was in a relationship before for seven years with somebody who was First Nations. So they had decided that I had what they call cultural competence. Okay. That's why. And had I, I not been in that relationship, I might not have. Yeah. And how do you feel about that? Because I, I guess it is kind of a good thing where if they have a certain person that comes from a cultural where they observe their cultural beliefs. Uh, I mean, I, I think I, I've tried to read up on Inuit cases. It's fascinating because they are, I find because they're so remote, they're often overlooked as the indigenous people, but they're among the first that That's really right. cross the Barren Strait. Oh, it, Anthropologists, it's, this is an ancient culture. Do they try and keep people like uh, for adoption within like, you know, well, um, what do we, there, there, look, I have, that's a whole other topic. I believe too many Indigenous children are in foster care period. Okay. 45%, I think, of the children, uh, indige, uh, of the children in foster care under youth protection are Indigenous. That's like the same number, percentage of children that died in residential schools. It's like, is foster care the the new residential school? It was really, it, it, I'm not going to lie, there was a lot of uh, learning that was painful. Yeah. And so there I was parenting William. He wasn't a good sleeper. I was exhausted. You were also recovering from an injury. Yeah, my, yeah, but that's a cute story. I go for follow-up with my surgeon. He's like, oh my God, what kind of physio did you do? It's incredible. I can't believe it. What did you do? I'm like, I got a baby. Yeah, you fell in love. You you became a mom, and moms can do anything. Anyway. But like he's also good. running around, up and down stairs, running through Walmart and Home Depot. You know, <laughs> it's mind over matter. You know. So then I uh, got a call saying that he had a sibling who was in foster care, but was hospitalized for a failure to thrive. He wasn't gaining weight. He was, would I take him to, for just for six months until they found another family? I'm like, you're not going to get him back. And it was so cute. He came at Christmas. Uh, he's a year older than William. He had been oh, in foster care 22 months. Oh my God. 22 months. And he couldn't walk and he couldn't talk. But oh my God, I, I, I tell him that when I tuck him in at night, I tell him, the most beautiful little boy arrived, you know, he full of smiles. So oh, he was awesome. And he learned to walk like in two or three weeks. He still has a speech delay. We go to speech therapy every week, but he's doing fantastic. He just started drama. He loves to dance. Good for him. So 
and it was so nice. I well, William was just a baby, and I'm like, you're getting a present for Christmas because he arrived at Christmas. You're getting your brother. And it and that's was gotta be so good for the kids, right? Just have right. They're very close, very close. So then I'm not a spring chicken, you know. Um I get a call that their mother's pregnant. Oh. Would I take the baby? My husband's like, no freaking way. You're tired all the time. My sister's like, you're too old. Um, But I had it in my mind that yeah. my whole thing was, where was he going to go? What if he ended up in a foster home like Kalupa did? You know, what kind of foster? Where is he going to go? It's not to say there aren't excellent homes that welcome. But part of the problem with residential schools was that they separated children. Siblings, I mean, families. You know, I, there was no way that I could see him going anywhere else except being with his brothers. So you got so, number three. So... Um, I was fight. My husband wasn't happy about it, but I knew he would give in. And once uh, he sees the baby, it's kind of hard, right? I called somebody who, first of all, they say all Indigenous children have fetal alcohol syndrome, even when they don't. It's a racist thing. Their okay. features are different, and it, it's a a bias. You know, they think all. First of all, their mother. I never saw her intoxicated. We brought him home. First of all, he's so delightful. And what a good baby. He'd sleep all the time. He's so much fun. And everybody now, I bugged them. Remember when you said I shouldn't get him? Because everybody <laughs> loves him so much. I uh, So I got the three of them. And unfortunately, um, we've fallen out of contact with their biological mom, which to me... It's for selfish reasons, too, because you have to explain to children who are adopted that you're not the real mom. And especially and, in your context, right, where you're coming from a different culture. It's right. the thing that the kids are going to probably be maybe, well, when they're doing these things that are non-traditional in your household yeah. for adoption, they're probably going to become aware something's different. And when we used to spend time with her, she would sit on the floor with them and she would talk to them in a not to touch. And I would ask her. Like once we went to uh, Westmount Park and there were ducks. And I'm like, how do you say duck? And, she, you know, she was the children's best link to their culture. So that's that's the that's the language. It's enough to talk. That's right. Oh, wow. So you've had to expose yourself not only to like that because there's there's nonverbal elements of the culture. There's tradition, right. there's potentially religion. Then you have to expose yourself to a, a language that is I don't it's know if I've hard. ever heard. It's, it's very awesome. hard to learn. Well, some people say it's easy, but I find so, it very, I, sorry. No, I was just going to say is that has like the next, the next question I want to ask you revolves around the biggest challenges that come with, I can only imagine that there's challenges with adoption, but as you were <laughs> saying, a white person raising like an, an indigenous child or someone from such a different culture, what are some of the things like societal relationship, is there legal, educational, anything around those? There's systemic racism for sure. Even they told me Johnny had fetal alcohol syndrome. And then, look, I'm going to say something, but I find French Canadians xenophobic. I just do, and I find them. Because the French Canadian 
uh pediatricians were like going and then i had this he was actually irish pediatrician he's like he doesn't have fetal alcohol syndrome there's nothing wrong with that baby <laughs> you know um that's good and uh even the hypotonia i had asked a, a pediatrician at saint justin i go what does that mean oh they'll be slow my kids are not slow <laughs> yeah. you know well, is, um, it, is it not is it not expected that there would be some challenges with just like learning if you're coming from something different? I and mean, like you're, they're not only learning like your standard, um, you're in Quebec, but like your standard elementary or middle school or high school system. They're also doing extracurriculars that if it's outside of sports, it's learning about other things, which is in itself. You go, you can take night courses on how to learn about any vast number of cultures that exist in this. Well, it's it's quite it's a lot on a kid. It's quite interesting because to really parent indigenous children you have to have a full comprehension of intergenerational trauma and that's one thing I learned when I was with my ex um, you have to be very careful before you stereotype or judge people because um, I tried every orange shirt day you know I try to explain to people I, you look at my street all of the kids are outside playing in the summertime it's a dead end riding their bikes. Can you imagine living in a community well, where one day all of the children are gone? There are no children playing on the streets. So the parents are desolate, desolate. You know, um, Americans did that with slaves. They believed they didn't grieve for their lost family members, you know? So there you have parents who were broken. They fall apart because they lost the most important thing. Then you have children raised in institutions who don't know, who are not taught how to hug and kiss and comfort. They're abused in institutions. So what happens when they come out and they have families of their own? They were never, you know, it's like, it's huge. It's huge. Um, my challenge right now is like you know the thing like round and round the garden trying to catch a bear like when we do it we go round and round the tundra like we really try but i'll tell the boys do you know how hard it is to take down a walrus <laughs> you know we have a book of you know things that the uh, inuit designed kayaks you know so it's really trying to tell them how strong they are. Like two of them never get cold outside. It's crazy. Yeah. They're soaking wet with sweat, you know? And they're pretty, I, I imagine this would be a, like a, a positive if there's ever such thing as a positive stereotype, but I imagine people who are exposed to that are probably pretty resourceful. It's pretty hard to be freezing cold and actually productive at the same time. I know I go exactly. or something like that and I'm just standing around like, okay, exactly. <laughs> when are we going to watch the game? <laughs> but like William now is proud of it. He's like, oh, I'm not cold. I'm Minnick, you know? And this is the whole thing of really raising their self-esteem. That's why Kalupa, I put him in theater because of his speech delay, but he loves to dance. It's to make them so proud that when racism comes their way and to know that they're from a strong people, like, we took them dog sledding and there was a 
Inuit animator and he was telling them, people ask us why we live in the North. It's because we can, you know, <laughs> and um, it's really to raise, because the Inuit are quite different from First Nations. I mean, they do have colonialism and racism in common. So there is that, but it's very different. Um, I just think that the challenge, I think the most important thing that you can do is I don't want a 15 year old telling me either you took me away from my culture. No, we're supposed to travel up north in the spring, in April. Um, so what region would these, if, you, if you're comfortable saying, what region are they from? Because I know the Inuit so, is such a vast, it's like- Yeah, Alaska. they're, they're from Nunavik. Okay. Well, that's that's very um, Arctic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And uh, it's, um, I think the most important thing, because, you know, you hear these stories about Indigenous kids playing hockey and having racial slurs. Um, there's another thing that irritates me. They're beautiful children. And when I take them places, people obvi obviously know they're not mine. And some people know they're Indigenous. And they'll say, such a nice thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. Those kids are so lucky. And I'm like, what? I'm the lucky one. Yeah. I get the gift of these children. And and the rich, it adds such a dimension to your life. Like on uh, Wednesday at Cabot Square, there's a march for murdered and missing Indigenous women. Oh, really? On Wednesday at Cabot Square. So that's that's Cabot Square in Montreal this yeah. Wednesday, February fourteenth. That's right. What time? Just so uh, anyone who's listening can know. About it. I have to double check. I guess. well, we we can we can post it. Okay, we can, we'll post the link. But, to it. Yeah, and uh, Sarah Carrier, who's a knowledge keeper in the community, is the MC. She's incredible. She's, Sarah Carrier. Yeah, she's really incredible. So. Um, we also, yeah, so we belong to a group of white people that parent Inuit children. And what's nice about that is that they get to be with other Inuit children in a really positive environment. And hopefully we'll stay with that group for years. They'll grow up with the kids and have their sense of community. And it's kind it'll be, of, it'll be like having an extended family of like, you know, right. you know that's, that's really neat. Right. Has so you talked about you had dated someone who was indigenous and then you've now mm -hmm. raised these kids and you've brought up on a few occasions like terrifying elements of like colonialism and the, yeah. the residential schools which I think I I feel like now is being more talked about than it was when I was little. Um, has your perspective on on just indigenous peoples, especially Inuit people, uh, uh, changed quite a bit? And what are your predictions going forward? Is there amends being made? Is there hope for you? Said there's a lot of kids in foster care. Um, the system is, is horrible. It's broken. There's other solutions that people don't want to look at. Can you, can you give us an example? Well, not investing in the communities. There's a book I think everybody should read because I took a, <clears throat> uh, there's online courses for free. You can take like indigenous history, indigenous worldview. One's from the university of Alberta. The other one's from the university of Toronto I was trying to so I could be able to talk to them in a historical context as they age. Well, the Indian Act and, but then I read Seven Fallen Feathers. I cannot recommend this book enough. It's about 
Um, there was also a documentary on Crave called Thunder Bay, but it's about missing teens in Thunder Bay. And it's by Tanya. I don't want to get her mixed up with the Inuit uh, throat singer. Tanya Tagak, I think her name is. It's called Seven Fallen Feathers. I'm she's, sad. She's a journalist. Um, Tanya, book, Tanya Talaga? Yes, that's it. That's it. That's Tanya it. Talaga, Seven, Seven Fallen Feathers. It is yeah, available online. recommend that book enough because you won't look at Trudeau <laughs> the same way. You won't look at our government the same way. Um, it's a tragedy. You know, these kids, there's communities with no high schools, no running water, um, and the suicides. But she does a fabulous job. She talks about the Inuit. Um, she talks about the Indian Act, residential schools. It's a tough read. I had to put it down. I could be lying in bed reading it going, I've had enough. Those are the most, well, yeah, you, and especially you being someone who's, you know, so invested as your children, like you're yeah. bringing up these children in the world. It's got to hit a little harder Just than someone who can kind of like actually shut it off. You can't really do that. Right. I, but I question people's humanity. I just question, and we, as Canadians, we're so proud of ourselves, right? We certainly treated Indigenous people better than the Americans did, but it doesn't mean we're still not treating them well. Does she, um, in this book, does she talk about um, ideas that, like you said, investing in the community and stuff, does she kind of go out of her way to spell out? Like, for for people like me who are are kind of ignorant on it, I only hear what I see. Like, because I, I guess the one of the questions I want to get at is like, how can somebody help? Like, someone in your situation who's like doing this for these children, and then you said there's so many other children in the same scenario. Like, how can average Joe? We can vote. You know, you look in uh, you look in Quebec. Uh, Francois Legault said there is no systemic racism. There was a case, I don't know if you heard about it in Quebec, about a woman who was dying and they were calling her names type of thing. In the uh, hospital. Yeah. I, I do remember hearing about that. Yeah, that and was him coming out and saying there was no systemic racism in Quebec. It's not true. It's not true. Now, that's not to say there's not huge leaps and bounds being made. Yeah, I, I guess like compared to what it closed finally in the 1970s to where it is now, there has been some progress. But when you see a community, like you said, a cycle of uh, continuous post uh, uh, PTSD, um, what, is, what would you call it? Like it is, but it's PTSD. intergenerational trauma, it's unresolved trauma that's passed down. And we bear an enormous amount of responsibility. My personal belief, and when you read this book, I don't. I don't remember her giving specific recommendations, but the facts bear out that the police don't, you love your child, your child goes missing. They don't and they, they don't investigate. If it was a white child, how would that happen? I, yeah, there's the, I, not specific to also, I guess all indigenous people, but I've heard about the highway of tears that's in that's right. Western Canada and just, yeah, that's, Horrific. 
and uh, what's his name? Uh, Norvo Morisot. He is probably Canada, one of Canada's finest artists, one of our most famous indigenous artists. His grandson was one of the kids that went missing. And that's what struck me. I would hear about these Inuit artists dying. I mean, that would be major news in any other country. And I mean, like this march on Wednesday is important. So yeah, can you can you talk a bit about the march? What uh, is that just raising awareness or is it for any yeah. specific cause? Yeah. Uh, it, it's really for raising, it's Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they usually wear red. And uh, um, this specific day is to mark murdered and missing Indigenous women. I mean, there's so many. So are you and are you and your family going to participate? Um... Well, I hope so. The problem is, is I'm having a hard time finding a babysitter, <laughs> and I don't think this one is age appropriate. Yeah. Okay. That that's that's fair. I understand. You know. Um, is there is there any any other way people can kind of you know. They, I'm sure if you Google it, like we can post a link to the march. There's probably donations or something if people can't. Yeah. Be there, wanna... yeah. And um, yeah. So uh, because we've been to marches for Orange Shirt Day, mm -hmm. but that's more for children. You know, there's a story you can tell about the orange shirt. But it's um, and it, it's not always easy. I'm happy that we have a foundation of a cultural plan in place. So for instance, a social worker called and asked if I would help a woman. She had taken in a little girl, an infant. 18 months later, they found out that she was half Inuk and half Cree. Oh. And they said, she has no cultural competence. Could you help her? That's and, and you, you did. Know, um, she didn't get in contact with me yet, but I did recommend the parenting course. We took a course, so like an eight-week course. Mm -hmm. Um, I recommended the course, and uh, you meet people through the course, mm -hmm. and um, because you have to build it, it has to be inside you. It can't be something that you do just because you have a cute kid. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it has to be a part of you. So that would be where I would go. Cause like, obviously in the short time that we've been talking, I mean, it's, it's crazy how you went from like, okay, maybe we'll have one. We really want to have a kid to two and then to three. Yeah. And fortunately, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a subtle blessing that they're all related. You know, it's something neat. Cause you probably watched the three siblings grow up and it's like, you have the same traits and you don't even know yeah. it. You know what I mean? Um, what about people who who uh, might find themselves in the same position that you were saying uh, you, it just was maybe your your last option and that would want to go towards something like this? Like maybe how how would they go about it? Is there uh, do you just well, they would contact um, depending on their region? Like in Montreal, it's Bacha. I have to say though, we've had how can I say this? A, a easy ride. It's not easy. Sometimes you have a biological family who doesn't accept that their children were taken away from them, doesn't want you to have them. Like you have to go to court. It's not for the faint of heart. Takes a special person. No, but we were fortunate because um, their Anana, that's uh mom in 
and not to touch. Yeah. They call her Anana, and they call me mom. Oh, she wanted them to be with us. She was the one who said, no, they can call you mom. Um, and uh, we went to court, and she told the judge that she was very happy that they were with us. That doesn't happen all the time. You know, it's you can also get one. And then when you set up the process, they call you, let's say, and they say there's a child born. Mm -hmm. Then they do what's called an appel à tous. They go into the community and say there's a baby born. Does anybody want them? Sometimes people will come forward. Or sometimes I know of, I don't know if it was an indigenous child, but a woman who had the, the little girl since she was 12 weeks old and at eight years old an aunt came forward oh okay. so it's not for the faint of heart yeah. but if you're up for an adventure and uh if you're up for love and uh, doing the right thing and i find it fascinating i listen to people say i'm 38 i'm never gonna have a family and i laugh yeah. i laugh you know like you don't know what your future holds. You don't know. And um, do I wish I was doing this when I was younger? Maybe. Oh, you also got the best uh, physiotherapy you ever got in your life. So <laughs> maybe it was, you know, maybe it was the best thing you did it when you did. And for yeah. the children, like they're, they sound like they're pretty happy little guys. Right? They're beautiful. I can't say enough wonderful things about them. And I guess it's, it's wonderful for you too. Cause like you, it really kind of, must keep you really young like just constantly having to learn and getting well, exposed to new things and i took kalupa to a birthday party and there was this beautiful young mom expecting her third and she was like 32 and she's like oh i don't know how i'm gonna do this in my 30s it was so hard and then this other mother goes in your 40s it's really i'm like hold my beer you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and which was like what how do you do it and um i think being older you kind of plan things more you kind of like before i go to bed at night i'm like okay we gotta do this 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 if i was younger you know you're more i don't know what the word is and um uh, now i have an enormous uh responsibility i have an enormous responsibility they're bonded to us they love us mm -hmm. the first time i told william it was like not this last mother's day was it yeah we had a a zoom with his biological mom and i said we have some presents and some pictures for you so when we got off the phone, he goes, why are you doing this on Mother's Day? And I'm like, well, Ananas, your mom and William was having none of it. He was shaking. He It was like just his little mind is like, yeah. what's going on? But it's necessary, especially now that they started big boy school. You don't want some kid going up to him going, that's not your mom. Yeah. You don't look like that you're you want them and it was cute i heard william telling somebody a story about when he came to live with us you know so it's That's becoming cute. part of their story yeah and it'll it'll it's you know it'll it's a strength growing up right as long as it... 
when we were doing donor oh god that that was horrible all that in vitro and that um some women they're very brave i hated it it made me suicidal and then when we did donor eggs we went to see this psychologist who was pro donor eggs and i'm like yeah but the kid's gonna not look like me she's gonna like or you know and i remember her saying i go how do i tell them how mm -hmm. and she said children love the story of their birth it's one of their most favorite stories to tell them and it's true my boys light up when i tell them about when they came to live with us and what they look like and how i show them pictures and it's one thing that children love yeah my son it's funny he was born to a big crack of thunder that's the one thing it was a big bang of thunder the doctors were all looking around like was that a truck or was that thunder and then we heard the cries and i was like isn't that hilarious <laughs> you know so that's the story you tell him about it <laughs> he's just he's just not quite asking that yet but that's the story no, but you have to tell him about oh, yeah, it you're so lying funny. in bed with them it's like do you know that when you were born you I'll know? have to start calling him Thor or something. Yeah, because um, but it, it they it, the psychologist had told me about it, but it's absolutely true. They light up. You know, even my nephews, I tell them stories about when we went to the hospital to visit them. And well, that's the next chapter is what I wanted to ask you about you next before we go is how do you plan a trip? How far north are you going when you're going in the spring? And what's that like? Because that's gotta be. We're going to be going with some other families. Oh, nice. So it's going to be a big kind of. I spoke to um, an Inuit woman the other day. Um, I said, what's the weather like? She goes, it's going to be very slushy. Okay. So I'm a bit nervous. I also know that with the cost of food and that it's going to take a lot of planning you know, pack a lot of peanut butter. And yeah. Well, like, what do you do? It's it's expensive everywhere now. Are you going to like Iqaluit or whereabouts in the province? We're going to go to, uh, we're probably going to go to Kujuwak. Kujuwak, I've, I've heard of it. I'm, I'd have to look it up on the map. Yeah, that's probably where we're going. I would like to travel to Pavornatuk because that's where the boys are from. That's where they're from. The worst thing about that is the name. The name actually means like rotting meat. Because apparently a bunch of caribou, there was some type of environmental disaster near the Hudson Bay trading. That It's fascinating, too. One more cute story about the kids. Of course. Johnny, when he was born, you get all these papers. And the boys have interesting names. William was named William Jr. Jr. as a name. He was named after a close friend of the mother's who passed away. And then Kalupa, um, it's not a common name. And I was told it's actually pronounced Hopala, Hopala. The K sound doesn't exist in, in that, that, that. And Gilbert Noah. And then Johnny was born. It was just Johnny, not John, Jonathan, Johnny. Then I got his papers and it said Johnny Inukpak. And Inukpak, Inukpak means giant. It's from a story of a giant who kidnaps a hunter. So I just found it cute. The littlest guy is named <laughs> Johnny the Giant. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So that's uh, that's coming up this spring. I think that'll be great for the boys. Eh? Yeah. Like also, I think it's important, especially 
William and Klupa might be too old. They're going to eat frozen meat. They're going to eat raw meat. They want to do it when they're little. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, I think I'd do the same. Because <laughs> when they're older, they're like, where's my French fries? You know? Yeah. like yeah. I'm still like that. Them, you see? You want them to experience everything fresh. And it, it, they'll be taken right in, right? I'm sure there's people that are just like in the community that are just going to see these three little boys coming up and they're going to be like, they're back kind of thing, right? And they take so much yeah. pride in taking them everywhere and doing all that with them. That's yeah. that's such a silver lining mm-hmm. on like, you know, what could have been, who knows, had it not been yeah. for the system and people like yourself. So that it's, it is a neat, uh, overall, it's been a very good experience for you being, you know, raising these children. And because it's... Uh, I got to I got to give you credit. I don't know how anyone can do it. it. You took a big risk and it probably is the best reward you ever got in your life, right? For sure. I mean, yeah, it's uh they're, they're the most beautiful gifts in the whole world. Like and you got to think about if you know anybody who wants to open their home to an indigenous child, they're desperate for homes. Like desperate. Well, I'll Tell you what, what we can do is we'll for sure post any kind of link to if you, uh, we can touch space, get any sort of link to where someone could even get started or if they can't open their home where they can help. I highly recommend mm-hmm. the book that you said. I'm going to have to read Seven Fallen Feathers. Please read it. Even if it takes, even if it takes you a long time to read it, read it. It's it's cheap. You can order it on Amazon, thriftbooks.com. It's here. The ratings yeah. are 4.6, 4.5, 4.5 out of 5. So it's about as good as they get. It looks like it. And yeah. then the mark on the Wednesday. Mark. Yes. I can. I should look on my phone right now. It's, um, I'm going to be sad if I can't go. It's, it's, it's the, the joys of parenting, eh? Sometimes you're like, dang it. Like, you can't find a sitter. I would have loved to have been there, but then, you know. I know. Or you know what? They're they're grown up and you're like, oh man. And Sarah is doing the MC. She's amazing. She was oh, yes. the, the Can you say her name again, Sarah? Yes, it is. It's actually, it's Sarah Siaza Carrier. Sarah Siaza Carrier. Yeah. She's the knowledge keeper. She's uh she can throat sing. She can do anything. She's incredible. And the last thing we were going to ask you before we go is if you if you have any we like to ask people now that we know about your thing is there anything yeah. you want people to know about that isn't your thing do you have any fun hobbies or anything you like to do on the on the side um well before i had uh before i had three kids i had four dogs ah and i remember them telling us you know if the dog kids are aggressive with the dogs you'll have to um get rid of the dogs and i'm like what anyways uh we kept the dogs away from the kids because they were old and sick and they all died and we just welcomed two insane puppies into the house what's the breed nuts they're uh lab aussie mixes and they love the kids they think the kids are puppies that's awesome and johnny's hugging them and kissing them when he comes home he goes pop 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 probably his dogs you know in his mind there are nobody else's dogs with his so that's that's great for the kids too right right yeah and, and great uh, for you guys you know um yeah what keeps you busier the dogs or the kids the kids <laughs> it's, it puts things into perspective i don't dote on the dogs as much as i would normally 
you know, uh, sometimes uh, our, our, our dogs that passed away, we took good care of them. They got neglected a bit. It's hard to do both. Yes. You know, but well, just... I just wanted to say thanks very much for coming on. Deirdre oh, for... Thank you for inviting me. And uh, we'd love to, if you'd be willing to come in the future and just give us some updates, maybe after your sure. trip, you come on, sure. you can, uh, share the experiences. If, if you read that book. Yes. Email me and tell me what you think. Absolutely. Uh, I, I honestly, I think it gives you a really broad sense of, of what's happened in Canada and the gravity of it and how our government isn't really doing enough. I will for sure be looking into that because, uh, you know, I, I, I've said before, I, I took criminology and criminal justice and they did. I have to give them credit at Carleton University. They did. Um, they didn't shy away from talking about the experiences in the residential schools and they had guest speakers. Yeah. But I, I have to say, until I went there and I was an adult going to university, I didn't really grasp what had happened. And it is absolutely terrifying. And there's a reason that we talk about it. We need to talk about it more. So we'll definitely check that out. And again, yeah. thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences. Oh, thanks for inviting me. What's Your Thing podcast, episode number 18. Thank you, everybody, for listening. So make sure to check us out. What'sYourThingPod.com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube. Follow us on TikTok. Check us out. We're going to have a blast. What's Your Thing? What's your thing?